Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us this morning. We thank you that you are in the business of bringing new wine. With that new wine needs to come new wineskins. So Lord, we pray today that you would help us to lie down our old ways and pick up your ways. Thank you so much that you are a faithful God. That Lord Jesus Christ, you died to forget every single one of our sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, as we come before you this morning and talk about the sacred gift of sexuality, we ask, Lord, that you alone would be our guide. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that in you there is no condemnation, there is no shame, there is freedom, there is life, there is love, and there is light. So Lord, we pray today that your light would shine deeply into our darkness and that you would liberate us, Lord God, the ways in which we are giving ourselves over to the evil one. For we know that he stands defeated because of who you are. So we come before you now and we proclaim together that you who live in us is greater than he who is in the world. We pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. I'm excited to be with you this morning as we continue in a little new series called Sacred. If you were with us last week, you know that Ben Lawrence did an amazing job of kicking off this series and communicating to us about life, all of life being sacred. And today I have the deep honor of talking to you about the gift of sexuality. Now I want to give a little fair warning. We shot out emails and Ben gave this last week, but if you're here and you have children with you, um, if they're little, this may not be the talk for them. So now's your opportunity to kind of scoot out and uh, take them maybe out and, you know, maybe you can sit in the cafe and distract them a little bit while you listen in. So um, today, I want to kind of talk about this gift, and I want to start with a passage that many of us know. If my people, you can say it with me, by the way, if you know it, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Church, sons and daughters of the Most High God, the land of our hearts needs healing. As I've researched again this week and studied and prayed and looked at my own life, this area that we're going to talk about today is in desperate need of healing. The good news is we have a tremendous healer who is ready to heal today. So I'm going to challenge you to listen in, and I want you to know that some of the things I say to you may cause you to squirm a little bit in your seats. That's not me that's causing you to squirm. That's called the Holy Spirit of God. And I've been squirming in my seat this week as I've been preparing for this message as well. And so I just pray that the Lord would use me today to speak to you. Well, um, if you were with us last week, you know, Ben started us out, and again, he did this incredible job of painting a picture of all life being sacred, and I just want you to understand that when we're saying that all life is sacred, we're saying that all life that God has created, all that he's created is holy. All that he's created, we should approach with reverence, with care. Now, a few weeks ago when I taught on music, I just reflect back to this the whole time when I was two, my mom taught me how to enter the, into the piano, you know, and she, she kind of put me up to the piano, she said, now, look, you're always gentle here, you never bang, 
This is a holy place. And I want you to know right now you're standing on holy ground. And you're always supposed to be gentle here. You see, it, it, all, this, all of it's sacred. All of us are vul, um, valuable because we're made in his image. And God says, they are mine. My name is attached to them. So handle with care. Say that line with me. So handle with care. Do you think our lives and the world would be a different place if everybody we approached, we handled with care? The world would be a radically different place if we approached everybody we saw with reverence with love, with gentleness, and with care. So today I want to approach this topic in the same way. When we treat something that bears God's name as less than sacred, when we don't see people and things the way that God sees them, we defile these things. See, when we don't walk in sacredness, when we trod over things that God has created, we defile them and we dishonor God because he is the one who made them. So I don't think the word defilement can fit any better than any other area than this area of sexuality. I hope you agree with me because as Jesus talked about throwing pearls before swine, we have trodden underfoot the precious gem that God intended sex to be. And we are paying the price. Sex is the number one thing that people search for on the internet. There are over 420 million pornographic internet pages. 12 to 17-year-olds are the largest consumers of internet pornography. Stop. I'm going to say that again. 12 to 17-year-olds are the largest consumers of internet pornography. I'll talk to you about this in a minute, but parents, you must talk to your children about sex. You must. I know it's hard. I know you'll flounder. I did. My dad did. I'll talk to you a little bit about that later, too. But you must because the world is right there at the doorstep, beckoning and calling them into this cauldron of evil. 43% of Internet users view pornography. The pornography industry is the largest. It's larger than the revenues of the top tech companies combined. Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink. All of them combined do not match the revenue of the porn industry. The porn industry rakes in 10 to $14 billion in the U.S. alone every year. The worldwide revenue, over $100 billion in porn. 70% of women now keep their cyber activities secret. Women more than men are likely to act out their sexual behaviors in real life, such as having multiple partners, casual sex, and affairs. There are 68 million porn search engines every day. Seven of 10 lay leaders in the church admitted to visiting an adult website at least once a week. And five out of 10 pastors say they did the same. Can I tell you, it's by the grace of God that I am not numbered among them. By the grace of God. But I know brothers in the pastorate who struggle tremendously with these issues. Now, look, I didn't say I don't struggle with lust. What I said is, by the grace of God, I don't visit pornographic websites, and I haven't for a long time, by the grace of God, years and years and years. However, 
It's crouching at my door every day, and I am made of flesh and blood. And if you think somehow because I stand up here that I don't struggle with the same things that you do, you are sadly mistaken. No temptation has seized you except what is common to all man. And I am just a man, but I am God's man. And you are a child of God. And you must understand that the enemy seeks around he, like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. You must be vigilant and sober. This is what the scripture says to us. 60% of all Christian men and 30% of all Christian women are addicted to pornography. 60% of women have answered the survey admitted to having significant struggles with lust. 40% admitted to being involved in sexual sin in the past year. And 20% of church-going female participants struggle with looking at pornography on an ongoing basis. This is no longer a man's issue. This is an us issue. This gift of sexuality, because it is so powerful, has been defiled. And folks, this is more than statistics. It's people, it's husbands, it's fathers, it's mothers, it's wives, it's children, sons and daughters, it's families, friends, co-workers, it's churches, it's ministries, it's the body of Christ, it's us. Statistics only tell part of the story. Statistics represent you and the people you know. We have a huge problem. And can I tell you something? This problem festers in the darkness. And that's why we are going to talk about it. We're going to bring the darkness into the light today. And I think we should ongoing talk about this. We have in the past, but as I prepared this message, I need to go back to the teaching team. And I said, guys, we need to do a series. We need to do a series on this alone. Because this, Chuck Swindoll says, is the number one secret problem in your church. Well, we're calling out the devil today. And we're saying no more. Can I tell you something? You are safe here. You're not safe here because of me. You're safe here because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can come out of hiding. You don't have to come out today in here. I'm not saying that at all. It might not even be appropriate for you. I came out of hiding about 30-some years ago with my lust addiction. I am a recovered lust addict by the grace of God. I'm also a recovered alcoholic by the grace of God. Many of you know that about me. But I was in the pit the slimy pit, the muck, and the mire. And my Lord Jesus Christ, he lifted me up out of the muck and mire, and he put my feet on a rock. And he filled my mouth with a new song, and he gave me a new heart. And he delivered me, and he washed me clean with his blood. And I'm just asking you today to believe that God can do a work in your life. I don't know where you are, but Jesus does. And to some extent, you do. And he is so good. His love for you endures forever. Look, I want you to know there are resources outside of this morning. There's a place called Life Recovery on Tuesday nights. It's an amazing ministry. It's a place where you can go and you can just listen for a while. You can just sit and listen. You don't have to participate at all. But I always say this, confession is, confession is contagious. You see, as I walk from darkness to light and start talking about the reality of my soul, then you have an opportunity to start doing the same about your soul. You have an opportunity to start walking into the light. And when you walk into the light, you start experiencing freedom because Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So I stand before you today, a man who is free from the shackles of lust. Because of Jesus Christ in my life. 
And I'm asking you to consider that because he loves you, that he would do the same thing for you. Maybe you can already stand proudly and say, I've been delivered, praise the Lord. But in a group of people this size, I know there's many of us, and we love Jesus, he loves us, but we're living with shackles all over our body every day. You know, we must seek truth from God because in this culture, truth is not a very popular thing. Do you understand that? You do realize that truth is so relative that people say, well, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. And I have my truth and you have your truth. No, there is a truth that is just the truth. No matter who says it, it's the truth. And that's because God is the one who determines what is true. Can you say amen to that? God is the one who determines what's true. So we have to understand this gift of sexuality is a sacred gift. We have to seek God's help to understand it. Would you please read these three scriptures, or the first two scriptures with me? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the enemy of God is called the deceiver. When he speaks, he speaks lies fluently. And he hates God. But he can't hurt God because he's puny. He's puny in comparison to our God. He doesn't even measure this high in comparison to our God. He's puny, and he hates to be mocked. Just say, that guy's puny. Just say he's puny. You see, he's puny. He's a little puny thing, but he's much bigger than you are. But if you're in Christ Jesus, greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. So much greater that you can't even ask or imagine. You see, God is so much greater. And God says, look, the enemy, he's seeking around like a lion. He wants to devour you. And how he's going to devour you is he's going to lie to you. You see, he's going to kind of bring you into deception so that you can start actually acting in accordance with lies rather than acting in accordance with the truth. Because the truth, Jesus said, will set you free. He said, if you hold to my teaching, then you're truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, folks, if truth comes from Jesus, and Jesus is the one who sets us free, we can assume the opposite. Deception causes bondage. So if you have bondage in your life today, you want to trust Jesus to trace that fruit back to its root. Because what's at the root of it is a lie. And in this area of sexuality, our culture is filled with deception. And the question is, are you going to the word of God to learn the truth so that you can be set free? You see, God longs for us to know his truth from the time we're little until the time we go home. I want to speak to you as parents. Tracy and I talked about sexuality with our kids from the time they were old enough to ask a question. We had read some good books written by some very good believing people who loved God. And they said, hey, look, if your child's old enough to ask the question, they're old enough to get the answer. And so when they were little, we talked to them about sex openly and appropriately, age appropriately. As my boys started approaching adolescence, I started talking to them about porn. I started talking to them about masturbation. I started talking to them about the difficult things that parents don't want to talk about. Can I tell you something? You must talk to your children. For if you don't hear, they don't hear it from you, they're going to learn it on the playground. 
They're going to learn it in their school. And we also know that the playground in the school is this incredible wealth of information for our children, do we not? I learned about sex first on the playground when I was like nine years old. Somebody brought pornography to the playground. That's when we had to have magazines to look at porn. Now you don't have to have a magazine. It's like right here on your hip. Do you know how much inroads the enemy has made through devices like this? If you struggle, throw it out. Better to gouge your eye out or cut your hand off, the scripture says. Little boy asked his mother where he came from. He also asked how, where she came from as a baby. His mother gave him a tall tale about a beautiful white feathered bird. The boy asked the grandmother the same question and received a variation on the bird story. Outside with a playmate, he said, you know, there hasn't been a normal birth in our family for three generations. <laughs> Folks, that is the reality. Our children know more than you think they do. They're exposed to this stuff. Get in there. Get in the game. Talk to them. My, my dad was a good man. He was a really good man. He loved God. And my dad, apart from Jesus, is my personal hero. When I talk about him because he's been home with the Lord for a long time, I just get this place right here. I don't want that place to ever go away. My dad, mm, I love him. He tried. <laughs> you know, he grew up on a farm. So, and he spent a lot of time in the garage because he was a building contractor. He retired from the Air Force. He, he had his own construction company. So I'd go hang out with the garage. And one day he beckoned me out into the garage. And we were sitting in the sawdust. And he, was, he had his head down kind of low. And he was kicking the sawdust. And I thought, what's up with that? He started talking to me about farm animals. <laughs> and he said, you know, the one cow puts its thing in the other cow. And then I'm like, what's he talking about? <laughs> and he was all red in the face. It was embarrassing for him, and I'm like embarrassed because I don't know what's going on. And I, he dismisses me, and I go in the kitchen, and I go, oh, my gosh, that was my sex talk. <laughs> you see what's going on? And can I tell you something? Satan works best in the dark. So if you don't have conversations like this with your kids, with your spouse, appropriately so, the people that are closest to you, this stuff festers in hiding. The good news in Jesus Christ is we no longer need to hide. See, because Jesus Christ died for every single one of our sins. And as a result of that, we are free to move from darkness to light and say, yep, I'm broken, but now I'm blessed. You see, yes, I'm sinful, but now I'm forgiven. You see, and we can walk proudly and say, you can't hurt me with that stuff anymore because Jesus Christ is my Lord. And, and you can try and throw shame on me because I struggled with lust, but you know what? I am forgiven 100% completely accepted by my Lord. So now I'm free to move from darkness to light because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you ever played a game like Manhunt or Kick the Can when you were a kid? Just a few. All right, well, I thought I'd get a better example. Do you remember this thing? Ali, ali, oxen free. Say that with me. Ali, ali, oxen free. So we play manhunt all over the neighborhood, kick the can, right? And you were like on teams, and you were like hiding from people, and you didn't want them to catch you and throw them in the base and all this kind of stuff. So you're hiding. 
you're hiding. And yet your heart's pumping, and you're trying to do everything to protect, to keep away from that person who can put you in jail. Right? And then you hear these beautiful words, Ali, Ali, oxen free. And you go, oh, I can come in now. Right? And you saunter into the base, and you're like, yeah, you can't catch me anymore. Do you realize Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, and when he said he, it's finished, he said, holly, holly, oxen, free. It's time for you to come out now. You no longer have to fear condemnation. You no longer have to fear jail, because I died for you. And you are now free. You are free to confess your sins and thought and deed, and you can stand tall in your humility before me, because I am the one who died for you. You understand this is central to the gospel. So if you are in hiding in some part of your soul, in some part of your life, you're keeping things under wraps and you're not bringing this stuff to Jesus Christ, you are not allowing God's gospel power to penetrate that area of your life. And God longs to set you free because he loves you so much much. We need to understand that the sexual activity of all kinds, by God's design, he longs for you to understand what he wants for you. What he wants for you. So today we're going to have a reasonable conversation about these matters. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to do this without losing you. Let's start with the obvious but oh, so offensive truth about God's design for sex, shall we? Sexual activity of all kinds by God's design is reserved for only one man and one woman in the context of a lifelong committed relationship, a covenant called marriage. Any sex outside of that is not by God's design. Now, if you've got some rotten tomatoes, you can throw them now. Because I'm not telling you this because I want to be popular. Matter of fact, this is not a very popular thing to say. Anybody say amen to that? I'm saying this because I want to be truthful. And I'm saying this because I know that God loves you. Now, I want to also tell you this. I am no expert on sex. I could think, I won't even go there. <laughs> Oh, just the things that come to my mind up here. You don't know. <laughs> I'm not an expert on sex, but here's the good news. My best friend is, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he knows everything about sex because he designed it. We were formed by his hands. And he designed us to live in deep intimacy with himself and with each other. And the better news is that he loves us so much. So I want you to understand something today. All that God speaks is love. Say that with me. All that God speaks is love. You see, the scripture is very clear. Whoever does not love does not come from God because God is love. He is love. He defines what love is because he is love. Love, all love, all true love comes from him. Give thanks to the Lord, David says, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Let me tell you something. God is not a cosmic killjoy sitting up in heaven wanting to make rules that oppress you. Now, some of us have this feeling, especially when it comes to the area of sexuality. Well, God, you're such a killjoy. Don't you want me to have fun? And God says, no, I'm the author of fun. 
Like, I want you to have life and life abundantly. It's just that you don't know what love looks like. And so God needs to kind of infiltrate our lives in such a way and help us to understand first and foremost, he loves us. So every word that comes from God, the Father of lights, is a gift of love for you and for me. Can I tell you that God hates sin? You know why he hates sin? Because he loves people. And he hates sin because sin hurts people. So when we understand these things, then we get in a position where we can start to receive God's love. We can agree with him and receive it. And he said, look, I want to set you free, but you must participate with me. And so C.S. Lewis said this, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with ambition, sex, and drink when infinite joy is offered. We're like ignorant children making mud pies in the slums who don't know what it's meant to have the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, God wants more for you than you want for yourself. It's just that you have to actually trust him to receive the gifts that he wants to put in your hands. You need, to, you need to do things his way, not your way. Now, I don't know about you, but if I ran my bank account the way that I want to, I would be in deep doo-doo. Anybody say amen to that? Oh my gosh, everything I see, I want. I was out this week, and I was buying some Christmas presents for my kids. We're shopping a little bit ahead of time. We've known one of our kids wants this thing, and I'm not going to tell you what it is or which kid, because then you'll get back to them, and you'll ruin the surprise. But I'm out there buying this for them, and I'm going, I think I want to get me one of them. And Tracy's like, well, you think you want one of those for Christmas? I think I might. But I want that too, and I want that too, and I want that too. Now look, if I let that rule the roost in my home, we would be homeless. You see, you got to give up your way of doing stuff. And you got to pick up God's way of doing stuff. And you can only do that if you are in Christ Jesus because you need his power to change your life. Once you have him, then you have all the power you need to change your life. You're just living deceived if you think you don't. And you may keep trying to do things your way, but he says, no, 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 not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we're going to learn from him today. By going back to the beginning of the book. Ben did this last week. I'm going to go back to Genesis 2. So turn there with me. I'm going to check my time. Not doing too so bad. That's good. So Ben walked us through primarily Genesis 1 last week. I'm going to walk us through some of Genesis 2. And I want to go back to the beginning of the book to think and see the design. And by the way, the whole of the scriptures is God's inspired word. I hope you're spending time there. I really do that you're praying and you're reading God's word and allowing him to speak to you. But I want you to know that when you go to that word, you can always most rewind always to the beginning of the book and go back and you can find almost all the theology you need right there in the beginning. It's incredible how everything gets traced back to Genesis and it goes full fruition then into Revelation. And so we're going to read from Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array and all the beautiful hummingbirds and all the kinds of things that Ben talked about last week. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all his work of creating what he had done. Verse 5, now shrub, no shrub had yet appeared on earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and the man 
became a living being. So God is there. He's not ashamed of what a man looks like. He forms man in every way, down to every detail, and he says, it's good. And in verse 15, the Lord took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of him. And the Lord commanded them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then the God, Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed all the ground of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. That is part of his dominion. He is ruling and reigning with God. But for Adam, no helper, suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. He then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. This is holy ground. The man said, and I'd love to know his inflection, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. He was impressed, to say the least. <laughs> For she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. God decide, designed man and woman to be together in a one flesh relationship joined in spirit, body, and soul, mind, to be one with God, to be one with one another, nakedness, togetherness. And there was no shame at all. Can you imagine what that must have been like? There was perfect, uninterrupted intimacy with God and with each other, and that flushed itself out in the sexual relationship because God said, be fruitful and multiply he said, I designed your bodies in such a way that you are to fit together. And there's this miracle of procreation that happens. You are going to be a creator after me. This miracle comes, and I am going to then bring life from you. And you're now going to reproduce and fill the earth and subdue it. And God's plan was so beautiful and so good. And yet all of us know what happened. Got messed up because we bought a lie. We believed the lie. And we rebelled against God. And then we fell. But in Christ Jesus, all things are now new. So see, with redemption means we are now bought back by the one who made us. And now new life comes to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, this is called pre-fall theology. Now Jesus says, you're the one who's going to live the way it was supposed to be. That's what you're invited to when you come into Christ. To live the way that it was supposed to be. In Christ. I, I, I love to think about what this must have looked like, but I want to point a couple things out to you. That in his love, God designed men and women to be different. That's not working. This is a lesson in... It looks good. looks good. 
This is a lesson in uh, controls. Anybody back there can move the PowerPoint for me. Hello. There we go. Good. Thank you. Now, how many of you believe that men and women are different? Okay, like you learned that in grade school, right? Men and women are different. They are. Not just physically, but in other ways too. And, and I want you to understand something. Like, God created both men and women with two basic needs. One is a need for intimacy. That's to be close. That's to be vulnerable. That's to be loved. That's to be nurturing. That's to be friends with one another. Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends, because a servant does not know his master's business. Everything the Father has made known to me, I have revealed to you. Disciples, into me you see. We are intimate. I have shared everything with you my longings, my pains, even the deep secrets of the kingdom that God has revealed to me, I have made known to you. You are my friends. It's a precious aspect of the way that God has made us, and every single one of us need this. But we also need impact. You see, in 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says that we are co-laborers with, with God. We are yoke fellows with God. That means that a yoke was placed on two oxen's shoulder, and they pull a cart together. You see, we're not just to kind of hang around in a holy huddle. We're actually to be part of what God's plan is on earth. We're to actually be part of his mission. In the garden, he gave us a job to do. He gave us something to do. And there would have impact in the world around us. Now look, folks, every man and woman on the face of the earth needs both of these things. However, I do believe by design that most women, not all women, but most women have a need for one of these a little bit more than the other one. What's the need that you think women are drawn to more? Impact or intimacy? Intimacy. Most women are going, oh, come on, don't be a dope, man. Of course it's intimacy. We're experts at that. We talk. We love each other. We hold hands. Look, I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of guys coming from Grace going over and holding hands at Starbucks when they have to collect tea across the table. Now, it could be all right. It's all right. But, like, like women are designed for that kind of stuff. Now, women need impact. I'm not saying you don't need impact. So, women, don't get offended. You're like, well, you told me you didn't need impact. No, you need to you have impact. You do. You have value and impact. And you need that. But the vast majority of women need intimacy a little bit more than impact. Now, look. Turn it around the other way, around. God designed men to need impact a little bit more than intimacy. Now, by the way, this comes to the sexual relationship. And it flushes itself out in a myriad of ways. But guys, you know, if you think about it, they actually did studies where they took two little girls, a bunch of them, and they sent them into a room with two chairs, and they took two little boys, and they sent them into a room alone with two chairs, and they said, go in and have a conversation. So the two little girls went in the room, they took their chairs in, and the vast majority of them, over 95% of them, took the chairs and they put them facing each other. Do you know what the little boys did? The vast majority of them took the two little chairs and they put them facing in the same direction. They would look out a window together and put their feet up on, on the thing, and they would talk while they weren't looking at each other. Guys, when we go to a man's retreat, what's the best part of it? It's the car ride on the way there. We're all facing in the same direction. We're like, damn, damn, the perfect news. There we're going. Come on, man, take the hill. Now, look, this is innate. This is something that God gave us. Tracy and I, we had bizarre inclinations for our kids growing up. 
Zach was our first little boy, and we thought, well, we're not going to ever give him a toy gun to play with. Just not going to do that. We don't want to blame with toy guns. By the way, I'm, I believe in, you know, guns and all that stuff, so don't get all upset. <laughs> but, like, we're not going to give him a gun, all this kind of stuff. So I remember the first time, he was, like, little. I think he was, like, four or something like that. We had him in a Burger King. He was in one of those ball pits, and we were feeding him pretzels, like the big ones. He bit a pretzel into the shape of a gun <laughs> and started going <laughs> with this pretzel. And I went, I don't think I can fight against this. This is something that's in him. He wants to have impact. He was made, to some extent, to be a protector. Guys, when I say those words, does your chest just want to swell out a little bit and say, that's what God's made me to be, a warrior for the cause of his kingdom? See, Michaela was different than that. I don't think Michaela ever bit a pretzel into a gun. She just never did that. Now, some people are going, well, she could have. Yes, she could have. But it wasn't something that we wanted to encourage. It just came like she was different than Noah and Zach by design. We'll talk about this more when we talk next week about gender. Because, oh, my gosh, is sex messed up? Talk about gender in our culture. Do you realize there are students being expelled from colleges because they won't agree that there's 23 separate and unique genders? 23 genders. Did you hear me, folks? Our college students are being taught that there are 23-plus genders. Do you know that there are 2,600 markers in our chemistry, our DNA, that make a woman different than a man? It's not just an X and a Y. 2,600 genetic markers that make us different as men and women. And yet the enemy is saying, nope, let's make up some genders. You can be whatever gender you want to be. Now look, I'm not trying, if you're here today and you're wrestling with these things, you are in a good place and we love you and I've wrestled with all kinds of stuff in my life. So if you're here and you, you wrestle with same-sex attraction, you are welcome here. We're not knocking you. Ground level at the foot of the cross. There's many of us that have struggled with these kinds of things and wrestled with them. But we want to speak love. We want to speak truth. And we're not going to deny what God says in his word. You see, now why do we have these differences? Here's the truth. Men and women together represent God's image more fully together than we ever could alone. Man and woman together represent God's image more fully than either of us could ever do alone. That's why I love in senior leadership when we've had Kelly and Chris and others, they're on the team and we work together. And you know, women, it's amazing. They see stuff that men just don't see. What do you think about that? I mean, I'm talking about, I'm talking about beyond the ketchup in the refrigerator. I'm talking like, <laughs> I'm talking like amazing things where she'll wait, hey, well, wait a second, you know, well, wait, uh, did you think about this? And we're like, uh, no. You see, but then there's other things that men see that women don't see. And together, we more fully represent the image of God than either of us could alone. So sex, by design, is a sacred gift, and God has created us very differently. Your sexuality is also a very powerful gift. It's very powerful. That's why you must handle this with care. Told you that I'm, I'm a recovered lust addict. 
I want you to know something. Lust has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with a compulsion to have more and more of some substance that makes my soul feel better. And can I tell you something? Sex is a powerful drug. It's a very powerful drug. That's why so many of us are addicted to it. And we don't even really know we are. All we know is that we have this compulsion and this feeling, I have to have it. I have to have it. I have to have it. And then many of us who have tried to like kind of quit whatever it might be that we're doing, we end up going back again, back again, back again. It's because you're addicted to it. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up unto an idol or swear by what is false. What's in your soul? Your emotions. And when you lift your emotions up unto an idol, what are you doing? You are going to something or someone other than God to take care of your soul. Sex is sold everywhere. It's communicated in everything. I can't, I, I watch the TV. Oh my Lord, I watch the TV. The things that are on the TV now they were never on the TV when we were growing up my age, right? Anybody my age in here or older? Yeah, okay. How, do you, how old do you think me I am? You don't even know. No. But look, we are in a sex-saturated culture. And, and, and it's a very, very powerful gift. We have to protect it. Listen, for this reason, a man and a leave us, and they'll become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It says here in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, protect your own soul, for out of it comes the wellspring of life. Single people, let me talk to you. I know you're sitting here thinking, wow, this guy's great. He's married. He can have sex. Sometimes. <laughs> that wasn't even in my notes. I'm just, that just came out. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about singleness. Here, first of all, you, you can be single for a number of reasons, by design. Some people are made single by design, by God. You've been made a eunuch for the kingdom of God. So singleness is a beautiful gift. It's just as beautiful as marriage. And single people, can I apologize on behalf of the church for ways in which we've sometimes marginalized you? I'm so sorry. You know, we talk about family life and married life, and, and sometimes we forget about you. We drop you. I'm so sorry. I hope that you'll please forgive us. Now, you know, it's sometimes by design. Sometimes it's by circumstance. Some people are widowed. Some people have been through rough divorces and they're single again. And, and you know what? God is there with you and for you. Sometimes it's just by choice. You know what? I'm done with this. And I think everybody who's been around for a while can say, I understand that. I understand wanting to be done with this. But singleness is just as beautiful as marriage. Some people who are single, they envy married people. Can I tell you something? The only thing that is worse than being single and wishing you were married is being married and wishing you were single. <laughs> Marriage is a great gift. Never talk it down. I'll never talk it down. I love my bride. I love marriage. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Tracy and I tell people we have a dysfunctional relationship, but we wouldn't trade it for anybody else's dysfunctional relationship out there because they're all dysfunctional. We love each other, and we've been working on these things for 26 years. We have some rough times. We're not always pretty, folks. Sometimes the stuff comes, ugh, horrifying. But at the same time, God created marriage, and God created singleness. And Paul said, you know, I wish everybody could be like me, single. 
Why? Because a married man and a married wife, they're divided in their attentions. They want to please each other, but I just want to please the Lord. So, so you see, he's, he's kind of celebrating what singleness comes. He says each one has his own gift. Some are married, some are single. So let me just speak to you single people. Here's a truth that I want you to know. Sex is optional. Say that after me. Sex is optional. Now, a lot of people are not saying this because you don't want to. <laughs> Say this after me. Sex is optional. Say it again loud. Sex is optional. Yeah, you need to say it until you believe it. This is not just for single people. This is for married people too, although married people have a different obligation in marriage. We'll talk about that in a second. But God's design and desire for you as a single person is that you would be abstinent. It's that you would be abstinent until you're married, if you get married. That's God's design for you. Now, look, I didn't, I didn't obey this design. When I was um, 11, it started my lust addiction, and I became sexually active at a young age, 15 or 16. Um, I look back on the years of my life in that, before coming to the Lord, is filled with sadness. But that was true. I've worked through that with the Lord, praise God. But Tracy and I, and she doesn't mind me talking about this, we both came to our marriage with sexual pasts before we knew Christ, and so... When we came together, um, we had to work through some of that stuff. Can I tell you, we cried together. We sobbed together. Can I tell you, one of the most profound moments in my life is when I apologized to my wife that I had been with another woman. She would sob and she'd say, it just kills me that you've been gentle with another woman. Do you hear intimacy? And I'd say, I'm so worried that another man has impacted you more than me. Do you hear significance? Now, she was always great to say, oh, you're the best, you're the best there ever was. And I said, keep saying that. I don't even, I don't, I don't want to know if I wasn't. Just keep <laughs> lying to me. Do you hear it in the heart of a man? Just keep telling me I'm good, like I, I'm, I'm making a difference in your life. Not just sexually, but in every way. Do you hear it? I want to make impact. I want to be used by God in your life. See, Jesus Christ repaired so much of that stuff, like he healed it. And now we have the opportunity to minister to other couples because we can talk about our journey. But folks, I would never want to go back and relive that. If I had to do it all over again, I would choose abstinence. But when I came to the Lord, about seven years before I met my wife, I did chose to choose abstinence. For seven years, I could no longer choose to be a virgin, but I could choose to be pure. And purity in God's eyes is what he's looking for. Purity before him. For seven years, I had no form of sex with myself or anybody else. I'm going to say that again in case you want, what the heck did he just say? <laughs> for seven years, I had no form of sex with myself or anybody else, and I did not blow up or die. <laughs> it's true. I'm standing here to prove it. But Jeff, isn't there something like, something can happen? Don't you like, get hurt or something? No, you do not. It's a lie. And can I tell you something? These years, these seven years, were the most radically freeing years of my entire life because I fell more in love with Jesus. And I took the idol of lust off the throne room of my soul by the grace of God. And God can do that in you too. So I want you to know sex is optional. It's true too. Sex is God's super glue. It's God's super glue. Like, I want you to understand what happens during sexual activity. The brain releases a number of chemicals. One of them is estrogen. That's the chemicals that get women in the mood. 
Um, norepinephrine, that's a chemical like adrenaline, and it creates a palpitating heart rate. Dopamine, it's like I gotta get it chemical. That's dopamine. And vasopressin, that's a monogamy chemical, but vasopressin is more evident in men than in women. And the chief of all these chemicals is called oxytocin. Oxytocin, thank you, oxytocin. The cuddle hormone, or the love hormone. Now the scripture says what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You always want to talk into King James with that one, right? What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. When God brings together a man and woman in the context of a sexual relationship in marriage, in a covenantal relationship, he super glues their souls together. And so when, when you are in a sexual relationship, you are basically super gluing your soul to somebody else's soul. The problem is that when you do that and you're not in the context of a lifelong committed relationship, that person can choose to leave. You can choose to leave. And you don't have that covenantal relationship. Now, that can happen in marriage, too. I'm not saying it can't. But what I'm saying is that you get wounded. And you wound other people. You hurt them and they hurt you. And so you think, oh, this feels good. i got to do it. No, no, no. You're walking into a guillotine. You need the context of a lifelong committed relationship called marriage to hold this thing because it is so powerful. You just don't realize that you're being seduced into something that's going to be hurtful to you. Now, the part of the brain where oxytocin is released is larger in women than in men. So since this is the cuddle hormone, that might make some sense to you. Since this is the hormone that actually, at the deepest level for both men and women, causes bonding. Literally chemical bonding is happening. When I first realized this in my life, that God loved me so much, he loved me so much that he did not want me to give myself away or hurt other people in this way, I, I came up with this illustration years ago, and I crazy glued two pieces of paper together. You see, because this is crazy glue. Crazy glue is pretty strong. You may get that on their fingers. That's strong stuff. God's crazy glue, so much stronger. But see, what I realized is that what I had been doing is I had been giving parts of myself away to people. And then when we would break up or stop being with each other, I mean, that's what it was like. Folks, you can't humanly put that back together again. There's just no way. And so my soul was in tatters. And God said, you got to give it to me. Because I'm the only one that ever could put that back together again. And then I can show you what it's supposed to be like, Jeff, if you'll just listen to me. Single people, I want you to know something. That if you're engaged sexually, that's what's happening to you. You may be thinking it's providing you some sense of purity, but what you're doing is you're allowing the enemy to steal your joy. And you're also affecting your future married, marriage if, you, if you're longing for a spouse, if God has that. But God can put this back together again. He really can, but you have to let him. And all I know is that God put it back together in my life, but it took some work. It took a lot of unnecessary pain if I just trusted him in the first place. But I trust him now, and that's the most important thing. So single people, I want you to know that God says to you, his plan for your life is abstinence. Two, God, sex is God's super glue. And three, it's definitely worth waiting for. It's definitely worth waiting for. I don't have a whole lot of time to go into that, but I just want to leave you with that. Married people, let me talk to you for a second. The truth about sex is that your body is no longer your own. Scripture is very clear about this. First of all, your body has always belonged to God. 
That's true. But husbands, your body is now your wife's. If you're married, the scripture says very clearly that you two are one, and now your, your body belongs to your spouse as well as to you and to God. You share it together. Now, I know that goes against all these cultural tides. Women, your body now belongs to your husband as well as Jesus. So, I want you to know something. If you're withholding sex in your marriage, you're hurting your marriage. You guys are really early. That's okay. We'll keep going. Um, so, you're hurting your marriage, if that's the case. And God wants you to know something, that he wants the super glue to work in your marriage. So, if you're withholding sex, can God speak into your life and convict you that you're supposed to serve your spouse by loving them sexually? Now, by the way, sex is not just an isolated experience. It's physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. So I've encouraged couples for years, pray while you're having sex. But you're kidding me. That's just gross. <laughs> no, it's not. God is looking down at you. He's not ashamed of this. He created this. So you pray before, during, and after making love because that's what it is. It's God's super glow. It's his design. But you serve each other in this way. You love each other in this way. The scripture says do not withhold from each other except for a time period by mutual consent that you can commit yourselves to prayer. And then come back together again so you are not tempted. The scripture is clear about that. Now, let me talk to the other side of the coin in marriage. Some people in here are going, oh, praise the Lord, preach that message. Preach it. My spouse needs to hear that. It's going to be fun tonight. Come on. Is that like a symbol that I'm supposed to like? <laughs> Let's get this thing done. Um, so, but I want to talk to the other side. Billy, what is that? Is that a guitar? Look. <laughs> oh, is it, it's him or somebody? Okay. So, um, actually, could you stop that? I don't know what, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, feeling a little pressure here. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, yeah. So, other spouses, like, so. Um, if you are pressuring your husband or your wife into sex, you're losing the battle, man. You're losing the battle. If you're guilt-tripping them, shaming them, manipulating them, you are losing the battle. This is about love. Back off. Back off. Go to Jesus. Run to him time and time and time and time and time again. Pray to him. God, change my spouse's heart. Help them to want me in this way. You see, you run to the one who loves your soul, but you keep pressuring and pushing and pushing and pushing, and you think you're winning the battle, but you're losing the war. You see, some of us need to step forward, and others of us need to step back. But you have to understand that, that your body is no longer your own. It belongs to Jesus and to your spouse. Love is different than lust in the marriage bed. Yes, you can lust after your spouse. If you're trying to pressure your spouse into doing things sexually that they are uncomfortable with, please stop. Please stop. You are hurting them. You are hurting them. And, and, and you know, I know, but here's what's going on. You're, you're wanting sex more than you're wanting them. You're loving sex more than you're loving them. This is a soul. This is somebody who you're supposed to love and care for. God, stop. 
Like, you know, Tracy wouldn't mind me sharing this. She's told me I could share it all the time, but she's a survivor of sexual abuse, as many of you are. How wise do you think it was that God put together a recovering lust addict and a recovery of sexual abuse? Like, is that not like an impossible thing? I remember the person who was marrying us looked at me and he said, well, <laughs> it's going to be a road. <laughs> i tell you one of the most amazing things was in my marriage, about six months into my first marriage, my wife cried and she looked at me in the eyes and she said, God is using you to heal me. You know how he did that? If we were going to be sexual and she was struggling I stopped and I held her and she cried and I said, honey, it's okay. We don't have to have sex tonight. Matter of fact, we don't have to have sex the next week. But maybe a few months down the road. Come on, like, you know, no. But like what I was trying to say was, now look, a lust addict does not do that. That is the new man. The new man does that. The Jesus man does that. The old man pushes. The old man says, well, let me, maybe I can manipulate a little bit. Like, stop that stuff. See, God wants you to be his, and he wants you to reflect his image to your spouse. You have to show them that you love them more than you love sex. Because sex is a great gift, but it makes a lousy God. And when you make sex a God, you hurt people. And God says, please, stop. Enough damage has been done already. Married people, sex is one glue, but it's not strong enough to hold together a marriage can't build a marriage around sex. You have to build a marriage around Jesus. So first, you have to be spiritually intimate. And you have to be emotionally intimate. And that comes out of being connected with God and each other. And then physical intimacy comes. So I'm asking you, are you praying with your spouse? Because that's very important. And true love shows mutual respect. So sex is a sacred gift. We need to treat it that way. Sex is a powerful gift. We have to protect it. And sex is so powerful. We live in a fallen world that it can be a very problematic gift. So I want to challenge you today. I'm going to tell you a little story, and I want to give you a word of challenge. And I want to encourage you to come forward today. By coming forward, you're not acknowledging anything to anybody. There's going to be some people on the prayer team coming up here. I would like the prayer team to come up if they're available to do so. I put some oil out on this side of the stage, but I'm going to put a basket down here for those who want to anoint. Anointing with oil is a sign that newness has come, that cleansing is happening. And I want to tell you this story of being out at Saddleback Church about 20 years ago. I was out there with about 4,000 pastors from all over the world. It was an amazing time. Rick Warren had a, a, a young woman up front sharing her testimony. I'll never forget her testimony. She was a recovering lust addict. Do you think for a woman that's a hard thing to say today? That was a really hard thing to say 20 years ago. Really hard. So she told us her story of how her soul had been given over to lust and how much bondage she was in as a result of it. And she said, I started the first lust recovery group for women at Saddleback Church. Now, you know, Saddleback Church is a church on the main campus of about 20,000 people. She said, I sat in the room alone for three months. And she said something after that I'll never forget. She said, now I sit with the most courageous group of women in all of Saddleback. 
And all 4,000 of us jumped to our feet and we applauded and we said, praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who sets the captives free, that by your blood you allowed a way for us to move from darkness to light and to get honest about the true state of our souls. So if you're here today, maybe you've been wounded sexually. You're in need of healing. Please come forward and let some of these folks pray for you. Maybe you've hurt others sexually and you're in need of forgiveness. Please come forward and let these folks pray for you. Maybe you're single and you don't want to follow God's plan of purity and abstinence. Please come forward and let these folks pray for you. Maybe you're married and you don't want to follow God's design for your marriage. Please come forward and let these folks pray for you. Come together as a married couple. I don't know what you are, but Jesus does. And here's the good news. He wants to set you free. So I want to encourage you to trust the God, to God in such a way that you're willing to move from darkness to light because in Christ Jesus, you are deeply loved. You are fully pleasing. You are totally forgiven. You are accepted and you are complete in Christ. By the blood of Jesus, you are a child of God. And maybe you just need to know that today. So come forward. And allow someone to pray with you as the Spirit leads. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of this time. We pray now that you would have your way with us as we continue and end in worship. And we ask, Lord, that you would change our lives from the inside out. That though our sins are red as crimson, we would be white as snow because of who you are. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.